This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. And welcome to episode 114 of Talking Dirty over at East Rustenold Vicarage, looking bonny in blue, and I think wearing a rather fantastic shirt that's peeping out from his cobalt blue jumper. We have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and extremely handsome horticulturalist. And over in Cambridgeshire on this somewhat grey day here in northeast Norfolk, but it might be sunny where you are. I don't know. We have thought it's Maria Sophia Fredrickson. Thumbs up there. I think it means the sun is shining. The sun is shining so much, I've had to close the curtains on my south-facing window so as to not be blinded by the rays coming in. So there are some bonuses to being in Cambridgeshire. Whatever whatever you did is doing marvellous. Your complexion looks fantastic. We established this in the bloopers a few episodes back. It's an old laptop with a duff camera that isn't in high definition. (laughs) Soft focus is the key. Uh, Now, for this episode, we are so excited to welcome along somebody who surely is sitting on your bookshelves right now, if you are a gardening fan enough to be listening to this Plantastic podcast. David Wheeler, editor of Hortus, which is just the pinnacle of gardening publications and something that Alan and I are a huge fan of. Welcome along to Talking Dirty. Before we get stuck into all the planty goodness, do you have any middle names to share? Arthur. Oh, lovely. What a solid name. David Arthur Wheeler. Any reasons behind the names? It was my father's one and only name. (laughs) Very traditional. I like that. Um, And your gardening background, were you somebody who, as so many of our guests are, were getting stuck in to the soil, to the plants from infancy? Or did you come to it sort of as you grew up? No, I, um, uh, the family story is I was at it when I was four. Um, and I have vivid memories of vast caterpillars that seemed like serpents, you know, but of course they must have been just tiny little things, but childhood memory plays tricks. And um, yeah, I've been gardening really on and off all through my life, even growing bulbs when I was in the Merchant Navy at sea. So, um, but not as a submariner, because <laughs> there is a tradition of growing um Grape hyacinths in submarines. Did you know that? No. no. Why? There's a group of submariners who, who are mad about muscari and grow them well below the waves. <laughs> That's fantastic. I mean, you're going to have to give us more information about growing bulbs at sea. What were you growing? Oh, what was your setup to make sure something. they didn't tip over? Crocuses, something probably very simple. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. What did the other mariners think of that? Weird, odd. <laughs> Something I've been used to being called for many, many years. And I think from following All the best you... people are, David, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think from following you on Instagram, and you, you've been sharing particularly recently posts about discovering stuff you bought when you were 17 or, or societies you were members of when you were younger, that you have been a very keen horticulturalist from, you know, in your teens. I used to buy amateur gardening when I was 16, and I used to hide it under my jacket because all my mates were buying, you know, shrink-wrapped top-shelf titles. And uh, <laughs> I couldn't possibly be seen with a gardening magazine age 16. Um, 
But uh, I, yeah, that, that and 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 part of the, well, amateur gardening, as you know, was threatened with closure or did close just uh, in September, but it's been bought and it's been saved again, and it's the longest established Victorian. It's Victorian, started in the eighteen eighties by Shirley Hibbard, and. Um, is still going after 157 years or something. So, Alan, we've got a long way to go. We have indeed. <laughs> well, and, yeah. it reminds me of that old maxim, you know, that you, I mean, you you touched on this a little while ago, you're saying, um, I think you mentioned starting a new garden at my great age and all the rest of it. But, I mean, gardeners don't ever die. They just garden as if, well, they garden as if they're not going to die. That's right. You just buy larger plants and plant them closer together. <laughs> Yes. The problem then is somebody else's. <laughs> oh, they'll, be as... fertilized, they'll be fertilized with my ashes. And be... <laughs> I like that you're sort of following the uh, modus operandi of all arboretum planters through the years. It's someone else's problem in the future. Exactly. Well, it, it's tr- so true because I went to visit a couple of friends the other day and uh, they're living in the house that their parents um, lived in prior to them. Um, and I think the house was bought in 1952 or 53. Uh-huh. Um, and the the colonel made a, a huge arboretum, um, and you know they had a, an ongoing um, agreement with Hilliers. I want two of everything that's new, in case one dies. Fantastic. Yes, wonderful. and of course they, they 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 did plant this arboretum, and it is fabulous, and they have got some wonderful trees. Yes. but they were most dismayed when an expert from Kew Gardens came out and told them which to thin it out, and he told them which ones to keep. And Jane said to me, they, they're taking out all the bloody pretty ones. <laughs> <laughs> it's surprising, though, Alan, isn't it? I can remember when I started planting trees seriously, how very soon you're lopping off branches bigger than the specimen you bought just exactly. three years yeah. before. Yeah, I know. We're doing it. We just had um, we just had some tree felling people in um, and on Monday, and they, they they lopped an awful lot of eucalyptus back, which I've grown from seed. I sowed the seed in 1991. That's so rewarding, isn't it, growing trees? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But, of course, we planted them too close, and then they grow very, very tall. You didn't expect um, to live so long. <laughs> I'm not going to die, David. <laughs> <laughs> no, old gardeners never die. They're just merely composted, I think. <laughs> yes, I think you're right. <laughs> oh, dear. And obviously, you're still planting trees, don't much like Alan, still planting trees at your new garden. We've got to talk yeah, about autumn in a moment, but you've moved in the last few years from the garden that everyone associates you with, Brian's Ground, which you were in for how many years? 28. 28. It must have been hard to leave. Uh, well, I've I've always been, I've always felt to be a garden creator rather than a curator. I've twice turned down the opportunity to be a National Trust um, resident and look after two quite important gardens. And I didn't want to look after somebody else's gardens. I wanted to make my own. Yeah, exactly. That's where where the buzz comes from. And, you know, it activates the shopping gene beautifully as well. (laughs) (laughs) I've just been looking at my tree list. I've got to get some, I've got 15 or so lovely trees for autumn colour coming next week, so... That's exciting. Bare rooted, you know, best time. Yeah, really. The, the proper way, the way gardeners did it. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, it's mm. been a very exciting time to be following you on Instagram because you've been sharing lots of autumn colour from the garden and sharing new purchases when you nip off to somewhere and <laughs> have a little spree so we can all live vicariously through you. So what are some of the things that you've been picking up to add autumn colour to the garden? Oh, I'm mad about um, some of the new varieties of acerubrum, you know, the Canadian maple. Yep. There's October Glory and um, Jeffers Red Autumn Blaze, I think it's also called. And they're just so reliable and they're fast, you know. So for an oldie like me, and by the way, I do the monthly column for the oldie magazine. So um, that keeps me um, <laughs> keeps me sort of stitched into the older person's world and <laughs> what we can expect and hope for. But those those maples are, are just bomb-proof. They're just fantastic. And um, the Freemanii, um, which is a naturally occurring um hybrid isn't it between acerubrum and saccharinum not the sugar maple which is saccharum they're very confusing these <laughs> canadian north american maples have you seen them alan have you been to new england in the autumn to see no them? i have never done that no i've never done that um, and seek out that calendar quality foliage it's just it's, yeah it is stunning, really. I get regular updates uh, um, on it from my friend Val, whose um, children live in America. Uh-huh. She goes over to see them regularly and, you know, leaf peeping and all the rest of it is the yeah, one they call yeah. them, isn't it? We've nothing like it, really, but... Um, no. It's, it's, no. But it's interesting you just mentioned October Glory because October Glory is one of the few aces that colours well for us. Yeah. I mean, I've just been going through my woodland and I've been extricating aces that were bought because they colour well. And they never have. Well, and also they hang on to their leaves. They've got a bit of strength in their yes. tentacles, I guess. October uh, glory doesn't glory in October. It glories in November with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> My mind's in full fig now, right now. Yeah. So. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a year-old plant. And I never really expect a year-old, I mean, a year-old in my garden. Um, so it's, it's only a five, six-foot sapling, really. I wouldn't really evaluate it or get my money's worth from it i think after two or three years when it's settled in and it's got used to our crappy soil or whatever <laughs> well that's an interesting thing between your two gardens because you're both coastal but on opposite extremes of the united kingdom so alan yeah. uh very very close to the east coast and you're joining us from south wales so yes. you've both got a bit of coastal protection far enough inland to not get too much sort of salt uh, yeah i think the, the salt has been jettisoned by the time it reaches us that's right <laughs> That's the thought anyway. Bit of sea mist with you as well, David Wheeler, because there's lots of sea mist makes it to to add. A bit of sea mist, which is nice, um, because it's rather like being in a theatre. When it clears, it's like the gauze curtain going up or going departing, and it reveals the landscape again, and it's refreshing. It's lovely. And soil-wise, I suppose you're very, very different being on the East Coast and then South Wales. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I'm a hydrangea nut. So when I when we were house hunting, I had my pH beta with me. Bugger the interiors. You know, I wasn't interested. I wanted <laughs> how much land there was. Was it level enough for an old fogey like me to manage a wheelbarrow? And what was the pH? Because <laughs> uh, I anything anything, you know, uh, over seven, I wasn't interested in. I wanted six point five down to five point five because I wanted my old cobalt blue hydrangeas to be as cobalt as they ever were. I do envy that because of our hydrangeas here, we grow an awful lot in our woodland area. Um, they're not blue. They're gradually, pockets of them um, are mauve and going uh, purple. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
last year we had one, I planted a new bank of hydrangeas and amongst them was one that came out bright cobalt and I was so pleased. For some strange reason, there's just a seam there of very acidic soil. Yeah, I don't know how or why or whatever, but, um, you know, it, it, it it's nice that we can have that. I mean, that blue is such a pure colour. It's extraordinary. There's there's. It's the almost tele, unreal, isn't it? The Teller hybrids, you know, the big, lovely, big yeah. lace caps. There's uh, Blaumeiser and Nachtigall and, and varieties like that. Uh, I mean, they would just make your sweater look, you know, your lovely blue sweater just pale into insignificance. Absolutely. Again. Absolutely. They have a kind of an electric quality about them. Mm, I mean, it, they do. They it do. is fascinating. And around us here where we live, there there is... Um, just an ordinary little bungalow, but I mean, they—they the people there care about their their garden. They've got a little piece of woodland, and in this piece of woodland, they have some hydrangeas, and they mm. are the most brilliant electric blue. Mm. And it's so startling, you know. The certainly is um, is aluminium, isn't it? It's yeah. So an acidic soil on its own is not necessarily enough. It will help, but it must have naturally occurring um, aluminium, which yeah. at Pines Ground we obviously had by the shed load. Because Aluminum. I couldn't grow a pink hydrangea if I tried. <laughs> and here, after two years, they've gone because they were in a potting. I brought cuttings, potted up cuttings of most of the collection, about 250 different varieties yeah. of serratas uh, and macrophyllas. And they, those that did flower in the year one were pinky mauve and they're going blue. Um, so I'm hopeful they will get their roots out of the compost they were in. You know, they're, they're not deep rooted, so they've got to find their, their way in. And I know that there are certain pockets of this garden where the soil does vary, rather like Western Burt, you know, where, where they've got acid um, uh, green sand, where they can grow wonderful rhododendrons. Yeah. Got lots of limey patches where they can grow lime-loving plants as well. And I think we might have the same, rather like you, Alan, having different stratas, different types yeah. of soil composition. And you yeah. can discover what it is until you the plants will tell you. The plants yes, exactly. Exactly. And talking of rhododendrons, I think you have rather a fine one just outside your window. Yeah. Um, Roy Lancaster said it was uh, old Cornish red, um, which was popular in the 1890s, I think, something like that. The one we have here is about 40, 45 foot tall and is in full flower. Now, mid-November. Oh. It's extraordinary. I'll send you a photograph. Oh. Um, and it's right next to a copper beach, which is absolutely full of doing what, exactly what a copper beach should be doing in November. So there's a great blob of autumn colour and this fantastically gaudy rhododendron in full knicker pink almost. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to happen every year, I'm sure. It's. I think we, we had a, a, a big drought in yes. this year. We, in southwest Wales, there was no measurable amount of water in May or June. Southwest Wales, that's extraordinary. Isn't it's, un it? uh, it's unbelievable almost. And then July, the deluge came. So the plants are confused. And uh, we've got some apple blossom. I've got some osmanthus flowering. Um, dandelions are flowering. Daisies are up. I mean, what's going on? <laughs> Did I remember rightly when you moved into your, your new garden upland that you there are quite a lot of rhododendrons that you're getting rid of? Quanticum, yes. Yeah, yeah. 
and digging it out. It's the only way you can do it, really. And the soil is pretty naff where left behind. I've planted, um, there was a, a, a one big patch in front of the house, which was about half the size of a tennis court. And I've planted that up with a grove of Magnolia stellata and Circidophyllum japonicum. Lovely. So spring flowers and autumn colour, I hope. That's, oh. It's looking promising, but the soil is awful. The rhododendrons, I think, have absolutely taken anything that was of any value from the soil. Yeah. Um, but they can soil can be enriched, so I'm not worried. And how big is your new plot that you've taken on? Um, it's 12 acres, um, a five-acre meadow, southwest facing, gently sloping, um, a three or four-acre wood, and what was an orchard and lawns around a Georgian house, basically, um, where there was no gardening going on at all, although old maps show where a walled garden used to be, but it's been many things since, including a caravan park. But mm -hmm. gradually getting it back to something looking pretty green and lovely. Are there any sort of hangers-on from previous gardening efforts, apart from, I suppose, you know, trees, but are there things that you have been discovering over the last couple of years, patches of bulbs or things coming up um, that, that hark back to a previous gardening incarnation? Not, not, not really, no. Nothing of any, nothing exceptional at all. There's a wonderful old mulberry. That's like oh, that's, that's a, priceless. A, yeah, a writhing monster. You know, and mm. I think it's probably the house dates from 1750. So I reckon it was planted probably about then to mark the the the, the building of this house. Uh, wonderful old thing, just going now. Wonderful buttery yellow. Yes, and so they've just got such character. Like you say, a gnarled old thing. They they are like some sort of creature you expect them to come to life and march yeah. off or something remarkable trees yes as nancy lancaster used to say but a yellow <laughs> yeah yeah exactly in that role <laughs> that one <laughs> i can only imagine particularly in coming years that the blaze of autumn color you're going to have at upland because you're buying in all these wonderful things quite a few varieties protea i seem to remember yes in your... um oh. once you start looking there are quite a few varieties um, I'm growing two at the moment, Vanessa, which is a tall, upright one, and uh, Persian Spire, which uh, is quite new. And I, so I don't think anybody really knows what height it will achieve. But um, at the moment, they're knee high to me. But, um, you know, once you get start feeding them, they'll suddenly be shoulder high. <laughs> I must say, David, we are quite privileged, the pair of us, in, in the fact that we have enough space to play with planting trees oh, because, um, I mean, it is, a, it is a great luxury to be able to do and to actually go through uh, a lovely list of plants, trees and shrubs and curate what you want, what you want yeah. to grow with yeah. and all the rest of it. It's just so lovely to be able to do. And when you get to the stage and you're, you're gradually getting there, you've done it once anyway, but, you know, your trees start to grow. We've... we've areas in this garden where we've got arboretums and things and to go and walk through them at this time of the year well at any time of the year but this time of the year in particular is rather lovely because you know you have I mean we've got a huge collection of birches and some of the birches go the most brilliant brilliant orangey yellows um, and then of course there's the magnolias that we've mentioned and lots and lots of other things as well it's yeah. just so lucky to to I feel privileged to be able to plant trees and to look at them and think yeah. you're a baby now but one day you won't be 
Exactly. And the, the great, one of the great surprises here uh, is the autumn colour that I'm getting on Cornus Coosers. Oh, yes. Um, and I grew Cornus Coosa quite a lot at Brian's Ground, but they didn't do much in the way of autumn colour. Flowered beautifully. These are full of buds for next spring, but wonderful burgundy clarity, purple, yeah. Vatican-coloured leaves. So it was wonderful. <laughs> Plant for two se- really a genuine plant for two seasons, you know, it's, mm. and, and and graceful and lovely, you know, in between. My big niggle, and I don't know whether you share this, Alan, too, and thought is is is, is what's happened to the price of trees? <laughs> I mean, for for young gardeners starting out, you know, you go to the garden centre and they want eighty or eighty five pounds for a prunus fragrant cloud or taihaku or. Pandora or Snow Goose or whatever. That's a lot of money. It's a lot it of money. And I, I keep an acquisitions book. I've kept a note since the, um, the when we first went to Brian's Ground in 1993. And in this book, I record the name of the plant, where I bought it, the size, and most importantly, the cost. And I can remember first tree I paid more than £30 for, which was a red oak, a Quercus ruba. And I thought, I've got to keep this hidden from my partner. He doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I just paid £30 for a tree. <laughs> and if you Google, I think there's a joke at some of the prices that are being asked for trees. I know they last for many, many years if you look after them, but it's a lot of money for young gardeners. Gardening, it's particularly, I think, for young gardeners, when you're new and you make so many mistakes, it becomes an extremely expensive endeavour gardening I think um, yes. and, and you can see how so many people are put off they they do that thing it gets to the Easter bank holiday weekend go and buy a load of stuff spend a load of money and then maybe you get into a drought a lot of it dies and they think well I'm not going to spend my money throw my money away and, like this and with a tree and that kind of outlay there's there's one golden rule and that is plant it once and once only don't think you know make make sure you're trying to get the right tree for the right spot because you don't want to have to dig it up and possibly lose it in two or three years' time. Because it's then you've wasted you you've wasted about five years, haven't you? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Alan, what was your think... old saying about like tuppence for the tree and however much for the hole? It puts. Well, it was, it was, I think it was, it was it was something like a shilling for the tree and a, and and a pound for the hole. In yeah, other so words, what... preparation that you make yeah. you'll put the roots into is more important exactly. than the cost of the. Yeah. So that then turns into I don't know about hundred pounds for the hole. <laughs> well, I'm just looking. I'm just looking at a, a wholesale list that I've actually just got from a friend of mine, David, who who um, has a wholesale nursery in Lincolnshire. Um, and the I mean, well, you were talking about Corners Cousa. There's a variety here called Copacabana. Have you heard of it? Yes, I have. It's a, a variegated one, I believe, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just I'm just picking it up because it's. It's the most expensive thing on his list. It comes in a 15-litre container, and it's £42.50. Now, why can't it be 42 or 43 Why does it have to be <laughs> for God's sake? It's, some, it's something to do with VAT, I expect. <laughs> I expect so. <laughs> um, but, I, I, you know, I'm just sort of thinking that I suppose if a nurseryman buys that at £42, he's going to have to charge, I don't know, £85, £86 for it. Yes, double it and vat it. And- yes. Then exactly. they've got, if it doesn't sell the first year, there's all that care and looking, you know, yeah. mm. got to look after the wretched thing. Yeah. Yeah. Don't pot it on. It's suffering slightly by being a little bit pot bound. So 
buy fresh if you can. Yeah. Buy Beirut. If buy, you... buy Beirut, yeah, if you can. Yeah, you, that, mentioned, no. <laughs> um, you mentioned hiding expensive plants from uh, from Simon, who I think, you know, or with all of us, probably doing a little bit to hide some of our purchases from our partners. I think that's probably everybody who is watching or listening to this podcast. You know, that this is an age-old thing. My grandmother, I used to go shopping with my grandmother, um, in Norwich, and I mean, they were the days when you'd go into uh, you go to, onto Norwich Marketplace, and you would buy, I don't know, some pansies that were that were, that were dug up from a, a a nursery bed, wrapped in wet newspaper, yes. and put them in the side of the bag to bring them home, and all the rest of it. And she went into a shop. She bought a skirt, I can remember, and on the way out of this shop, she said to me, "You didn't see any of that." And I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "Don't tell your grandfather." <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the very day, it, my grandfather used strange words. Um, he, she wore this skirt, and I think it was probably at Christmas time. And he said, "Oh, I see, mother, you've got a fresh skirt on." <laughs> and she said, "No, I've had it for ages." And of course, she had. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Um, I no, think, I think you're... we all do a bit of clandestine shopping. <laughs> Thank goodness Amazon sell, you know, deliver in plain brown wrappers. <laughs> and well, a, <laughs> a big box regardless of what's in it, so no one knows how big the item is you bought. Um, well, Graham just telephoned me yesterday morning when I was in the potting shed. He was in the office and he said, I I just I, I just um received a huge box and it's addressed to you. I said, Okay, I'll see, I'll see to it later. Well, don't you want to know what's in it? He said. <laughs> <laughs> I knew what was in it, uh, and I'll tell you what it was. It was a cat basket, oh. but it's a cat basket that's made in like a Ghanaian basket. It's made in Ghana, and it's the most wonderful sort of odd shape, and ah, oh, it's just a beautiful, lovely straw basket, yeah. and it looks lovely. It pleases me. And the cat does it please the cat? It, well, I just put it out this morning. It came yesterday, and the cat's immediately gone in it. Yes, he's asleep. Wonderful. <laughs> was it inexpensive, Alan? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> probably what graham cottoned on to uh, <laughs> I, t- I, t- I tell you you know it's one of those things you can't buy style you it lets you pay a lot of money for it exactly <laughs> <laughs> we've spoken often on this podcast about alan's gardening relationship with graham uh, obviously you have a gardening relationship with with simon as well and i think it works quite nicely in terms of who brings what to the landscape? Yes, I mean, Simon, we always say Simon is design and I'm plants. But so he makes lovely spaces for me to fill. But of course, after heavens, we've been together 37 years or more and more. Um, so there is a crossover, as you can imagine. So uh, I know I, so well. <laughs> I'm, I'm allowed to design, well, or comment on design. And um, he defeats me sometimes by saying, you know, that um, so-and-so, so-and-so, you know, a, a plant whose name I'd forgotten long ago, and he's remembered, um, you know, youth. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any plants that he really hates to see put into his designs, or is he very happy to stand back and let you reign supreme? Well, he keeps saying, that's your, well, we have, essentially we have two gardens, so, you know, he said, that's okay, that's your garden. Then I wait for the butt. Wouldn't it be better just over there slightly, or wouldn't it look better with a so-and-so? And so it's a compromise. It's a compromise. 
You know, the great thing is life, that's one of Graham's sayings, life is a series of compromises. But the great thing about having somebody to discuss a plan with and all the rest of it, you play bat and ball. So you chuck the ideas about and and the original idea will gradually be refined and you'll come out with something much better. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 to do with uh, somebody who's more interested in plants is probably more um, cognizant of um shade aspect soil conditions and that sort of thing yeah whereas simon might say to me i want a tree that doesn't get any bigger than 12 foot tall and nine foot six wide or something you know okay another amelanca um, <laughs> so, um but you learn from each other and it's, yeah, it's, it's a cross-fertilization it's a hybridization mm. of ideas it's lovely yeah and it must be so exciting to make a garden at this stage with such a catalogue in your mind of the plants that you you've tried that maybe you want to try in a different place or that you've loved in the past it's um I I can't imagine my my knowledge is this like tiny speck compared to the two of you to have all of that to draw upon in creating a new plot. I have um, an an iris siberica um, and I don't know what variety it is but it was given to me um, in 1978, I remember it well. I just bought a little cottage way back then in in Surrey, uh, on the Hampshire border near Farnham, and a friend gave me a little clump of Iris Siberica, and I've moved that. I've taken a bit with me all the way down. And that's my um, oldest plant in terms of succession from one garden to another. Something you can't take, you can't take tree. And when we left Brian's ground, I thought, oh, get one of those huge machines in and bring it all, you know, bring it all. But you can't, you've got to start again. And that's lovely. It is lovely, actually, because you, during the time you've, you, you know, you've had Brian's ground and you used it and loved it and all the rest of it. But your ideas have probably changed also, David, a little bit. And the fact yeah. that you know, your interest is now slightly different to how it was when you originally planted Brian's yeah. Um you you adapt to your sort of physical capabilities as well as your financial ones really as well you know i mean i've i've been no stranger to um hospitals over the last few years and after one really bad um um, uh, incarceration i came out and 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 all i could manage were teaspoonfuls of compost i couldn't lift anything Uh, Mm -hmm. the surgeon said i was to lift nothing heavier than a pencil so the answer was bonsai, easy. You know, go <laughs> online, buy some nice fancy little bowls, little tiny bags of compost, like bags of flour, get the teaspoon out, and you sit in the kitchen and you plant trees. You know, there's <laughs> you to do it. You, know, you need never be... What an optimist. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, I've got paid help now. I've got a, a man Friday and a man Monday. And... Um, because I'm physically, I'm sort of quite shot to pieces, but I can do almost everything I used to do, but at quarter the speed. And I look at a job and I think, I could probably get that done today. Whereas Daniel Man Friday or John Man Monday have done it before I even more or less say, well, I think we'll have it there, you know. And I, of course, I can remember Daniel's, you know, not yet 30, John's mid 40s. I mean, they're strong. We were strong. I was strong. Yeah, yeah. no, you're absolutely right. You are I remember it right. well, and I, I kind of regret that. But 
at least I'm still above ground. So, you know, I can. <laughs> and of course, the great thing that you can do as a gardener when you are spending a lot of time, you know, sitting, I've discovered this through hours and hours of breastfeeding, is there's a lot of garden, great gardening books. There's uh, social media, there are plant lists, there's, you know, catalogue upon catalogue, seed lists. So um, did you manage to build up an even kind of greater wish list of things through looking through many catalogues and lists and, and kind of dreaming of what you might do? <laughs> Why yes. incarcerated? Um, there's a tree I, I can't source at the moment, uh, which is um, um, raywood, uh, fractured uh, ash. It's um, with wonderful autumn colours. Do you know it, Alan? No, I don't. Um, fractured or something or other. Uh, Oxycarpa raywood. Raywood. Uh, raywood. And it's not, it's um, thought to have been named after that Darboretum in Yorkshire, but it isn't. It's apparently an Australian hybrid. Um, but nurseries seem to have an embargo on selling any ash trees at the moment, obviously because of ash dieback. Yeah. Um, but I'm told that the um, the uh, the, Amer- the American varieties seem to be immune to the ash dieback, and I'm hoping that this um, one called Raywood will be as well. It's a. Uh, it's sorry, I said it was um, Oxycarp. It's not. It's. Um, Angustifolium, so it's very narrow leaves, but fantastic, long-lasting, brilliant autumn colour, oh. deep merlot colour. You know, it's a really yeah. fantastic tree. I know it well. And I, I mean, can I go on to this on all the tree nurseries things, and it just says, not available. Oh. So if anyone's got one, please. <laughs> hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.